Okay, so I decided to talk about this particular subject because of the fact that not only does it interest me immensely as a person, but also because it doesn't exactly follow the legacy style format of what we've come to know as um, traditional military style tactics that are used in combat. And so I think it's important that people should be far more aware of. And it's something that people should understand a little better because of the fact that this may be the future going forward, at least it seems to be right now, particularly if we begin discovering things that we've previously thought to be impossible or outside of our realm of expertise, if you want to call it. So first off, let's define asymmetrical warfare. Now, asymmetric warfare is defined as there being a war between belligerents whose relative military power, strategy, or tactics differ significantly. Now, in more cases than not, this is usually a war between a professional army and an insurgency or a, a rebellion of sorts. But there is more to it than just that. I mean, we've all, you know, heard, read, or watched movies of what a loosely organized rebellion or insurgency would look like. You know, the, the guerrilla warfare tactics and all that. Now, asymmetric warfare is something that I find to be very intriguing for the simple fact that, particularly within the latter part of the 20th century, since roughly the events of World War II up until the, the modern day time. This is a type of strategy that has been largely favored by many due to the fact that it has the ability to avert and in many cases defeat the traditional style of military power, which is that of possessing uh, high-tech weapons and a plethora of soldiers and what have you. Now, the reason why asymmetric warfare is something that is becoming more and more adapted to the, you know, modern world of warfare is due to the fact that it seems to be something that many people around the world are adapting and I have a theory on as to why that is. So if we take a look at say organized crime for example, the traditional organized crime tactics of being able to bribe their way out of consequences with the law started to stop, you know, uh, stopped working as efficiently as it used to in previous years, right? And so what happened after that? What happened was the large majority of these uh, criminals got locked up because they were operating in the same format, which was this militarized structure of loyalty and silence, right? Which, which worked for, for a long time, right? But after many years, once the government and law enforcement were able to penetrate these organizations, it's more than safe to say that these criminals had to resort to other methods and tactics with regards to how they operated and how they ran their business. Now, with that being said, I also want to note that organized crime is more than likely, by far, a less threatening issue than that of terrorism and whatnot. So, if we then jump to, say, modern-day organized crime, we'll see that drugs and terrorism seem to be the plot of it all, or at least most of it. And so what has happened is that things such as self-sacrifice through the use of terrorist bombings, where they have the bombs strapped to their bodies, or the utilization of precise murder, where people are killed in broad daylight and in public, but only with extreme precision, and what have you, are the ways in which I believe things will look like moving forward. And so what I think is vital to understand about asymmetrical warfare is that many terms that would be used in traditional warfare are defined differently to those using asymmetrical tactics, or in some cases are not defined at all. 
Now, what do I mean by that? So let's say, for example, that the traditional military-style tacticians and armies were winning wars and, and capturing territories as a form of success within any given war or battle. But what happens when a traditional-style military is fighting that of an asymmetrical one? where asymmetrical warfare groups win the war or tend to have an overall advantage against the legacy-style military because of the fact that they see personal sacrifice and territorial sacrifice as a necessity in order to defeat this large army that they're up against. And so let's say that the, the large army has taken over a town or a territory that the rebellion that they're up against used to dominate, right? But what happens if that rebel army doesn't see their territory being taken as that of a loss to them, right? Like, they don't see it as a loss due to the fact that the, the rebels, this rebellion type of army, have created this sort of worldwide web where they've emigrated to various countries and they've slowly but surely created what we call cells or different insulated groups that have been strategically placed all over the world. So that not only would it make it more difficult for the legacy-style army to detect them. But if one of these cells were to be detected or wiped out, then there would still be far more cells that still exist. And not only that, but the cell that was just wiped out would then simply be replaced by a, a newly formed cell who will then adapt and use different tactics than the previous cell in order to flourish and survive for as long as possible. Right? This also allows the members of all these cells to exercise a certain type of influence that traditional armies are not exactly used to. And so this seemed to be a major issue 20 to 30 years ago when this kind of style of fighting started to come to light. And the traditional style armies and governing bodies certainly recognized this and had to figure out ways to combat it effectively. Because ultimately up until, yeah, I would say fairly recently in human history, a war was very simple. Two sides both going at it or multiple, you know, armies or countries going at it the strategy being was you you know was only applied to a specific landscape where the battle was being held maybe you got ambushed but that was like or you were planning an ambush but that was the the extent of it i mean you fought it out whoever won took over whoever lost admitted defeat and was either terminated in its entirety or had to surrender to the victor of that that battle right and so i think that although this has proven to be difficult for the legacy armies, you know, the legacy style armies to adjust to and has proven to sadly be effective for those on the other side of the spectrum, particularly the rebellions with poor moral and ethical intentions. I think the threat we may be facing will not actually come from this planet. And that is very possible for us to understand that interplanetary combat is something that is very real and may not be nearly as far away as we think. Now, you might ask, how the hell did you go from traditional military-style combat to modern-day asymmetrical warfare to outer space? Well, call me crazy, but I, I'm more than certain that space is the next frontier in which we'll be exploring. And I'm, I'm more than certain that many different forms of warfare will be occurring throughout our time of continuous space exploration. And that will have some of the most difficult, the most difficult barriers to overcome in a strategical sense when it comes to space. And I think this cannot be ruled out because even if you think what I'm saying right now is crazy, all you would have to do is watch the movie Ad Astra, you know, being one of them. It's only, I think it's only a couple years old, very recent. And what is described and showcased within that film is the very real possibility that as we continue 
onto the frontiers of space. There will not only be a military-industrial space complex, but there will also more than likely be rebels within space that will act the same way that pirates did hundreds of years ago and how terrorist groups who hijack oil tankers and ships in the, the Gulf of Somalia and what have you exist today. It's very similar. Only this time, that type of asymmetrical warfare strategy would be applied to that of space and other planets. And now, when I explain it that way, it doesn't... I hope it doesn't sound as far-fetched as you might think, right? So, ultimately, that, that would be the premise of this concept, that we would harbor far more innovation throughout space travel and various galactic technologies and what have you, but we will also be harboring a threat stemming from within our own home, meaning Earth, that would ultimately pose the same kind of threats that are happening on Earth, except this time, it would be in space. And then there would be the fear of some kind of pirate-like rebellion being able to obtain advanced weaponry that either we have developed or have obtained through various other means that would consequentially lead to even more issues, right? And so ultimately, I do not mean to be some, you know, crazy-sounding, far-out-there guy that's just making up scenarios for the sake of doing a podcast, but for those that are following and know where I'm coming from, I'm, I'm more than positive that if you're still listening or watching at this point, then you see what I mean. So, please let me know your opinions on what you think regarding asymmetrical warfare, along with, you know, how that may indeed impact us in the future when it comes to interplanetary space travel, because it is certainly something to think about. So, uh, thank you for listening, watching, wherever you are, and feel free to like, subscribe, rate, depending on which platform you're on, and we will catch you next time. Peace.